remind you of a quote from Lindell's sermon two weeks ago. The quote was, Inheriting bias is inevitable, but holding on to it is a choice. Having a bias or holding a certain perspective is inevitable. We all have a bias. We all come with a different perspective. But the context that we choose to put ourselves in and the way that we respond to difference is going to determine if we maintain our bias. There is a well-known shift happening in workplaces, in education and leadership towards collaboration, diversity and mutuality. When I surveyed people this week, I asked people when I saw them and I asked it on the dive-in and everyone said the same thing. Oh yeah, that's well documented. There's a lot of evidence for that. Our workplace is doing that. Consistently, it gets the same results. The more diverse, the less hierarchical, the more collaborative a team, the better the results. I'm going to quote Tim Banning here. Thank you, Tim. He said, he works for Westpac, last year we did a simulation where 300 people worked in teams of six to run the fictitious Bank of Hobart. They were working in collaboration within their team of six and competing against the other teams. The teams that performed well and won were diverse, whether it was gender, age, technical skills, seniority, etc. And they demonstrated collaboration. The teams that lost the same in the flip. They were either made up of similar people or there was one person calling all the shots. I read a Forbes article recently and it said, um, it was talking about women in leadership and it said, furthermore, the data showed about why having more women leads to better profitability. It's not because women necessarily have superior skills. I don't know, but we'll see. Instead, the key is that the organisations have built-in inclusive cultures and that enables everybody to thrive. Organisations with greater gender diversity reported higher levels of collaboration, higher quality leadership, greater agility and were more likely to experiment in the pursuit of innovative approaches. Another article I read was looking at great groups. Has anyone seen this research? Talks about these great, of course Mark has, the great groups of the world. So people like the Disney animation team or the 1992 Clinton campaign and those who invented the nuclear bomb. Great diversity, but these are all considered great groups. And it looked at what characteristics made them great. Why did they change the world? Why did they achieve such incredible things? It mentions things like respect, valuing everyone's perspective, valuing everybody's respective genius, that every person in the group has the right role for themselves. Great groups are also made up of a bunch of people who feel like they're on a mission from God. They see this as the be-all and end-all of their existence. They see what they're doing as having eternal consequences. And I'm sure when you read out and think of Disney's animation team, it's quite kind of comical in a way. But I wouldn't say it's possibly too much of a stretch when you start to think about the church, us, on a mission from God. That we are a group 
seeking to change lives and change the world. So how does the church, us, or how do we harness the things that make great groups? We could gather all this excellent business research, we could grab all these examples and we could apply it and integrate it into our church life. We could have gender quotas, we could strive for diversity, we could set up collaborative teams and we could hire exceptional talent. But perhaps God has already built some of this in. Is it possible that all the ingredients for a great group are sitting right here? That for the church to tend to God's presence and go out in mission, bringing the kingdom of God to our neighbourhoods and communities, is it possible that all of the ingredients are already given to the church? That the potential for the church to grow into the fullness of Christ, for it to change people's lives and transform communities is literally sitting in every congregation. So we're going to collaborate, of course, and I'm going to annoy you all by getting you back into six groups. You'll almost be in pairs, so don't try to get a group together. Try to find a pair. And I've got six passages. I thought you were my PowerPoint person, love. Thank you. No, no, yeah, we skipped it. That was just my intro. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, as we get each pair, I'm going to go around. So, the, the, the Jamie Day, you're a team? Huge diversity. You're Genesis 1 to 2. You're going to read the passage, get one of you to read it aloud, and then the next slide I'll bring up three questions to ponder. So, Genesis 1. The next, David and Co. 1 Samuel 8. There's Heather on the floor. All right. So you guys can do Romans 12, Kate and Peter. On the floor at the back, 1 Corinthians 12. Oh, yeah, you guys can be a group of four and do 1 Corinthians 12. Family Stanton. You can do Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, and this little pod here can do Acts 15, 1 to 21. So pull up the passage, read it in your group, and then I'll put up the questions that you're to ponder. So throughout scripture, from creation all the way through to the early church, we see diversity and we see difference. Inbuilt, such as something like creation, we see it embraced. And we see it often considered essential, especially when it comes to the people of God connecting with God and connecting with our world. The mystery of God as three in one, the Trinity, is the basis for this. If God himself chooses to exist in community, Father, Son and Spirit, then of course the people that he creates and the church that he institutes is going to exist in the same manner. And what do we at HRIO regularly say is the definition of community? Together and gift. Community is made up of two words, together and gift. Community means existing and being together, and it means bringing gifts. 
I wrote in more detail in the e-news about the fivefold gifting. Who read it or saw it or has heard of the fivefold gifting? I'm not asking if you've read the e-news. So basically, there's an acronym called APEST. And the fivefold gifting is apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And essentially, this APEST um, model structure is given in Ephesians 4. And I should clarify that this list is both reinforced by other passages, but also expanded upon in other passages. So as we talked about from Romans 12, there are many other gifts also talked about in the church. Encouraging, hospitality, prophesying, or we've got that there, but tongues, um, serving, interpretation interpretation of tongues, that's usually helpful as well. So, uh, but to focus, I want to start with this list in Ephesians. And I want to present to you a hypothetical scenario to give you a bit of an outworking of these five in practice. The apostle says to a group of people, we are going to climb a mountain. We're going to climb a mountain that's never been climbed before. This is the way of the future. This is what we've got to do. And the prophet In tune with God, considering past, present and future, connects with God and turns to the apostle and says, that mountain, that's the mountain we need to climb. And the evangelist gets about recruiting. Come on, everyone. We're going to climb a mountain. It's going to be great. The view from the top is going to be spectacular. Grab your friends. Grab your family. We're all going to do this. It's going to be great. And then the pastor says, or the shepherd says, what about Bob and Betty who are elderly? How will they get to the top of the mountain? And the the families with young children, we need to consider how they're going to get to the top of the mountain. I know. I'm going to catch the train to the top, and those that can't climb the mountain will get in the train with me and we'll ride together to the top of the mountain. And the teacher sets about base camp, gathers everyone together and runs a class on mountaineering, hands out compasses and maps, teaches them how to use the equipment and shows them the way to the top. All of these functions ensure that we all get to the top of the right mountain together. Do you see it? If one of these functions is missing, we have a problem. The entire expedition is going to fall over. Is it not surprising then that Paul says to the church, Christ has given apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers. Does it not make perfect sense that these gifts are going to be present within a community in order that we can effectively tend to the presence of God and go where he is going. I wonder if we were to climb a mountain, what function you would perform. When I read those roles, which one most naturally stood out to you? And you went, yeah, that's what I do. Maybe it's a role that you perform already in your workplace or in your family and you go, yeah, that connects with me. And then, do you bring that gift with you into community? 
Do you share your gifting in order to edify and build up the body, bringing everyone to maturity in Christ? And lastly, when you bring that gift, are you ready and willing to submit fully to Christ and one another? If when the prophet said, that mountain, the, the apostle said, nah, not that one, it's not going to work. You have to trust, submit to, and acknowledge the gifting of others and honour their role in any sort of group. I want to finish by reading Ephesians 4, 15 to 16 again. If you've heard my sermons over the last six months, I think I've revisited this passage nearly every time. But that actually says something to me. It says that it's something that we need to hear and marinate in and it's something that our community needs. So I'm going to finish by reading this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And as we move into a time of response, we're going to be reminded of who we ultimately submit to, and that is Jesus. And we're going to do this by taking communion. But before you come to the communion table, I want you to consider what gift you have been given. Of all the things you've heard, of all the things you know about yourself, what gift are you holding? And I've got cards, I'm going to hand them out. I want you to write it on a card and I want you to bring it and place it on the communion table as a way of bringing it to Christ. And as you take communion, may you remind yourself that we fully submit ourselves to him and his will for our community. May he take what you're bringing and may he use it to grow and build us in love together.